four cups over the next four weeks. And so the first cup that I'm going to be talking about is the first cup during the Passover, and that is the cup of sanctification. And we're going to be using a verse from Exodus. It's where these cups and where Passover really comes from. And it's Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. And these are called the I will verses. So here's what it says. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment, and I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God, then you will know that I am the Lord your God. Uh, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Now, Pastor Derek has mentioned this many times. Egypt, right, it's really a symbolization of the world. They were under the yoke of bondage to the world. Their sins, passions, etc., etc. No different than we are as well. We all have that yoke that holds us, keeps us. Uh, again, I didn't grow up on a farm, but have you seen oxen that are in that yoke? They're in bondage. They have to do a certain thing. They can't go to the left or to the right. The world is holding us by that yoke. And so we're going to be talking about these different cups throughout this resurrection season. So the first cup, it's called the cup of sanctification. And really what that is about, that's about our salvation, how did God take us from where we were in bondage and save us? Bring us into that salvation to where now we can walk in newness of life in him. Not in that old life that was a yoke, but in a new life, a life of salvation. The second cup is the cup of deliverance. And that equals freedom. He's delivered us from that. And now he expects us to live in the freedom of Christ. Now, as Paul wrote, listen, let's not take this freedom and just do whatever we want with it. We should be respectful of what God gave his only son. And walk in that newness of life in a freedom that we've never had before. Not to use it for the purposes of the flesh, but for the purposes of God and his kingdom. So that's the second one. The third cup is the cup of redemption. And that is our restoration back into the kingdom. And this is actually the cup that Jesus takes specifically and talks about himself during that Passover meal. The cup of redemption. It's the third cup. Now, we know that he took the other cups as well, but it's not spoken of as predominantly in the four Gospels. And we'll talk more about that here in a minute. And then the last cup is the cup of praise. And that's really our fulfillment of the promises of God, the purposes of God in our life. You see, when God saves us, he gives us freedom. He restores us. 
He has something for us to fulfill in his kingdom. Now, the great thing is we get to do things for ourselves as well. But what, is, what should be our purpose? His kingdom. That was the purpose of allowing the children of Israel to leave Egypt. He said, I have a plan and a purpose for your life. And I'm going to set you free for that purpose. Now, if you have read the Old Testament all, you know that those things are kind of waves with the Jewish people, right? They're chasing after God. They're doing everything that he wants them to do. And then they're not. And then they are. And then they're not. And then they are, right? Well, God doesn't want that in our lives. He's done all of those things in us so that we can move forward and not live in this wave of Christianity. Now, are there high points and are there low points in our walk? Of course. But that shouldn't be because we are choosing to have those. It's just because, as I say sometimes, life happens, right? And you know, none of these cups could be have fulfilled unless what Christ did on Resurrection Sunday. Amen? So these are the things that God wants to do for us. These four cups symbolize our movement through God's kingdom from salvation to freedom to restoration to fulfillment of his purposes in our life. Here's what I wrote. The four cups of the Passover celebration, which is a celebration of God making his people free, is continuing even today in the Jewish community who still celebrate Passover. I, uh, when we had our own campus, we had some friends who were Jewish. Uh, they were Messianic Jews, so they believed that Christ was the, was the Messiah. And they invited us to a Passover meal. And it was, man, I'm telling you, the, the history and the things that you learn during those, spend some time reading and learning about how these things that happened during the Passover meal They are so much a part of our Christian walk. It's so unbelievable. God's really smart. Weird, right? He's really smart. All those things that he was doing throughout the Old Testament, he was preparing them for what was going to happen when Christ came. He was preparing the nation of Israel. Because what did Christ say? Jew first, and then the Gentile, right? He was preparing them for, hey, when I send my son, the Messiah, the King of kings and Lord of lords, I want you guys to already know all of this stuff so that when it happens, it's like, wow, this is really new to us. Make sense? And that's what the Passover meal is all about. And then, of course, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ. None of these cups can be fully enjoyed without inviting and allowing Christ into your life and walking and living in Christ. Because if you go to a, a, a non-Messianic Jewish home and they, and they do their cedar, which they do every year for Passover, right? It won't have that life to it because that's what Christ brings to it. He brings resurrection power and life. Amen? So Jesus celebrated the Passover as generations before him had done as well. The Gospels show us two of the Passover elements, the cup of redemption 
and the bread. And because this is so a part of the Jewish tradition and the lifestyle, the Passover meal is actually mentioned in all four Gospels. That's how important it is. There are some things that you see in different Gospels. You know, you may see this, and you may see this, and you may see this, but the Passover meal is in all four Gospels. And this is how I explained explain it to some of my friends. They're like, well, I don't, I don't know why they wouldn't bring this up. If you were, I have, I have two, other bro- two younger brothers, and if we were to des- describe my dad, we might describe him in different ways, right? For me, he was an author- authoritarian, right? Do it right, and you better do it right the first time. For my brother, it was more like, hey, it's okay to to try some things, and if you mess up, you know, it happens. We'll fix it later. Whereas for my little brother, we say, listen, whatever happens, happens, right? But it's the same person. Well, no different than with the disciples that are writing out the Gospels. What they saw Christ do may have looked different to them at different times in their walk, and here's why. We're all in this journey together. And yet, we're all at different stages of our walk at the same time. Does that make sense? Some of you may have been a Christian for a couple weeks. Some of you may have been Christmas for how long, Miss Bev? A long time. Yeah, right? And so we're all in different stages. And so you may see Christ as, as this, and she may see Christ as this. No different than with the different accounts within the Gospels. But the Passover is so important that it is mentioned in all four Gospels. In fact, it's so important that Paul spends almost a chapter and a half on it in the book of Corinthians with a rebuke for not taking the communion, which was part of the Passover, worthily. That's how important it is. Amen? In fact, Christ connected himself to his disciples and to us today by his broken body and his shed blood. Imagine for the disciples who had taken Passover year after year after year. It was part of their family tradition. And Jesus starts to explain each cup and how he is connected to each cup. You want to talk about, if there was a time to yell, okay, this is blasphemy, Jesus. We better stop right now before we go any further. It would have been at that, right? And yet his disciples didn't do that. They're like, wow, it's all becoming fresh and anew to me. I'm seeing something that I've never seen before. Amen? Each cup of the Passover is like a fence post guiding those partaking in the Passover meal As we will learn over the next four weeks, each cup has a specific purpose. And because God is a perfect planner, each cup has a specific meaning and a perfect plan for our life. And therefore, for the church in general. Amen. So the first little thing that we're going to fill in there is under the yoke. Here's what Exodus says. I will bring you out from under the yoke. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, I tell you most solemnly that anyone who chooses a life of sin is trapped in a dead-end life and in fact is a slave. 
A slave is a transient who can't come and go at will. When we're under the power of the world, as the Israelites were under the power of Egypt, they were stuck. They were under a yoke. They couldn't move left. They couldn't move right. They moved forward, and that was it. There was no going back for them. What the Egyptians said, they had to do. And isn't that really true in our life as well? When you have a yoke of bondage on you, you will do anything that that yoke says. Anything. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, money, whatever that yoke of bondage is, it will string you along. And you won't be able to move any direction except to fulfill that yoke. Sin When sin reigns in your life, it controls your life. And now I know that hasn't happened to anyone out here, but I know it's happened in my life. When that sin controls you, you'll do anything to fulfill it. Anything. So let's talk about the Egyptians and the Israelites, and really about our life as well. Number one, They were forced as slaves to make bricks. Day in, day out. Monday, Tuesday, every day that ended in a Y. That's what they had to do. Do you know that's what sin does to us? That yoke of bondage does to us? Every day, day in, day out, no change. And you know what happens when, you've got, when you do that? The next one is, you feel enslaved. There's no way to get out. I'm encapsulated. This whole lifestyle is about being enslaved. I can't move. I'm just stuck in it. Anyone else been there? I've been there. You see, you're building a kingdom that's not really yours, and it's never going to be yours. The enemy will have you build bricks for his kingdom that in the end lead to death and separation from God. Everything you build for yourself will be inherited someday by someone else. Everything you build for your kingdom, someone else will own someday. Period. Everything you do for God's kingdom will continue on forever. I want you to think about that. We work so hard, day in, day out, year after year after year, to build our kingdoms. And in the end, unfortunately, my kids are going to end up with whatever I've got. Unless I do like my dad did. My dad bought this Lincoln Continental. He didn't even like Lincoln Continentals. He bought this Lincoln Continental, so I bought him a, a bumper sticker that said, I'm spending my children's inheritance, right? Isn't that really true? Everything we're building on in in our kingdom, someone else is going to end up with. But when we build God's kingdom, it goes on for generation after generation after generation. That's what I want my kids to get an inheritance from, to pass down to their children and their children. Amen? You can't live your godly dreams and desires when you're enslaved. You end up working and actually working for the enemy. So what's the next one? 
This one's pretty tough. I actually had to call Pastor Derek and have a discussion about this one. The second one is the murder of babies. You remember the story? That's how Moses ended up in the, in the bulrushes in the water because they said, you know what? You don't get another generation. You don't get to enjoy an inheritance of children. We're going to take those away from you. Have you guys seen the story? How demoralizing, how does it affect your psyche when that next generation is gone? Now, I'm not talking about in the physical. I'm talking about in the spiritual. How many parents here are praying for their children that the enemy has a hold of? Amen? That's what this is really about. The next line is when you feel empty. There's an emptiness when that next generation is being destroyed by the enemy. Physically, like we read in the Bible, and you know it happened more than once in the Bible. We see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but it happened in generation after generation after generation to the Jewish people. In fact, it's even happening today in the natural, isn't it? The enemy killed their children. They were destroying their future and, the, and their inheritance. But God had a better plan and wanted to bring his promises to his people. It's sad what we're doing to the next generation. Amen. Maybe the enemy hasn't done something as terrible at that, as that in your life. But what has the enemy done to make you feel empty? What has the enemy torn apart from you? Maybe there's roadblocks in your marriage or relationships. And I want to tell you that God wants to turn that around. Maybe you made some tough decisions in work or finances and they didn't seem to turn out right. God wants to turn that around. Maybe you've had a feeling of despair and emptiness that never seems to go away. God wants to turn that around. He wants to change your history. He wants to change your psyche. He doesn't want you to feel empty anymore. He wants to fill that with the love of Christ. Number three, requiring them to collect their own straw. You know, on Easter evening, they always play a movie. And I, I love that movie. I watch it so often. Ten Commandments. Anybody ever seen it? Right? I love that movie. You know, after I read the Bible a couple times, I found out how messed up that movie is. I don't even know if they read the, read the Bible when they made that movie. Right? Now, there's some overlying themes that are correct. But there's nothing like when Moses comes in, he says, okay, we're out of here, guys. God is working on something on our behalf. Right? And then Pharaoh so let it be written, so let it be done, says, oh yeah? You don't get any more straw. You got to go out and get, cut your own straw. And the number of bricks you got to make, they got to be the same number. Those people are not very happy with Moses at all. You know, the enemy will do that to you. He'll say, oh yeah, you're so smart. You're going to church now? Guess what? I'm going to turn up the heat. It's going to be even worse than it was before. Anybody ever have that happen? 
Come, you start coming to church, give your life to God, everything's rainbows and ice cream, and then Monday happens, and you go out, the, there's a flat tire, your car won't start, you back up, you drive through the garage door, right? You get to work, your boss is like, you're three seconds late. What? Right? Life happens sometimes. That's what the enemy does. When the enemy gets you under his thumb, he will not let you go. He is seeking whom he may devour. Here's what I wrote. This is injury to insult. You have to harvest your own straw and still make the same quota of bricks. And then their hopes came crashing down. Their pleasant daydream of redemption morphing into a nightmare even more intense than the misery in which they had lived up to that point. I mean, you thought it was bad before. That was even worse. Their enslavement would continue unabated, but their hardship would grow. Production quotas had to be met, even though the Jews no longer provided with raw materials, making their workload that much greater. Now, I worked on an assembly line, and we made locks down in security. And so they would bring us the parts, and then we would put locks together. Now, luckily, I moved up to where I was the guy who brought the parts. But when you're on a line, they bring you the parts, and you start putting stuff together, right? Imagine if they said, you still have to make the same number of locks, but you've got to go get your own stuff. That would be miserable. I'd be, hey, do I get a raise for this? Right? Well, that's what the, that's what the nation of Israel was going through. Said, on that day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no more give the people straw to make bricks, as you have done until today. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. Wow. The enemy, Egypt, the symbolization of the world, is tough. It's hard to live under that taskmaster. People that think that they're good at it, they end up crashing and burning. We see it all the time in our heroes. People in Hollywood, our sports heroes, our music heroes, they try to live under that bondage. And it does not end up well for them. God wants to pull that away from you. He wants to redeem you from that. He wants to bring you out of that so that you have a new life in a new and living way. It says, for some reason before the exodus, the situation had to become even more dire. Only when their dream of redemption appeared to be hopeless, the Jews would finally leave. Doesn't that sound like us sometimes? Until you get to the bottom of the bottom of the bottom of the bottom, and then you're finally like, you know, maybe I will try this God thing. Right? Maybe that's what... Jehovah was doing to the Israelites. He's like, listen, you guys are complaining. I'm trying to get you out of here. I'm going to make it even worse. Maybe he was involved. I don't know. But I think when that happened, they finally said, that's it. We got to go. Why was this necessary component of the Exodus? Why was the enormous suffering endured and to the point not sufficient? Why the additional darkness before the glorious light? How I see it is, the enemy sees us failing and then says things like this. I thought you were a Christian. 
you go to church. God doesn't really need you in his kingdom. Look at you're not good at this anyway. Or maybe you've been thinking about coming into the kingdom and you just haven't made that final step yet. And maybe you finally hit your final darkness and you're ready to say yes to God. Maybe the Israelites needed that final insult to finally push them to say, okay, God, let's go. Because if God were to say, listen, you guys are slaves, you're doing all this work, I'm going to take you out to the desert. Now, if you've never been to the desert, the desert is not the greatest place to be. There's no water. There's no shade. There's heat. You don't grow a lot of things in the desert. They got scorpions and snakes. And yet, God said, I promise that when I get you out to that terrible place, it'll be so much better than where you're at now. I'm going to take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. We're going to get out of this place. Come with me. Follow me. Amen? So let's talk about the cup of sanctification. That's the next little fill-in. The cup of sanctification. Here's what it means. I will bring you out. God wants to bring us out. But you know what? You have to allow him to do that. You can put your heels in the sand. He can pull and drag and you can say no all you want. And we know people like that. We have friends at work. We have family, friends at school. We have acquaintances. We've, we've told them about the goodness of God. We've told them God wants to change your life. God wants to do something special for you. And yet they still dig their heels in. They're not moving. Why? It's this little crazy thing that we call free will. You have a free will. God won't override it. He may make your life miserable because you won't listen to him, but he'll never override you. Amen? So let's talk about the cup of sanctification. The first cup uh, comes from Exodus 6 and 7, as we read before, and those are the I will passages. God wanted to bring his people out from Egypt, out of the world, and out of the empire of their enemy. Even though today God wants to bring us out of the world and the empire of our enemy, sometimes we won't allow him. He wants to set us apart for his kingdom and give us a heavenly purpose. Here's what it says in the Bible. It says he wants to translate us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son or the kingdom of light. John 10.10 says this, The thief does not come except to steal and to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they have, may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. Not just abundantly, but more abundantly. Romans 8.11 in the Message Bible says this, It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive, the present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you. 
that he did in Christ, bringing you alive to himself. When God lives and breathes in you, you are delivered from the dead life with his spirit living in you, and your body will be as alive as Christ is. And lastly, in 1 Peter it says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven. And the future starts now. It's not a promise for one second after you pass away. It's a promise for today. How does he want you to live your life differently today? Not to be in the yoke of bondage. Not to be under the enemy's rule anymore. But how does he want you to live today? So here's the first thing. You have to make the move. God is relentless in his chase of us, but there has to come a time when you're like, okay, God, I'm in. I want some. Give me what you've got. I would rather have just a little taste of God than everything in the world. Just a little taste of God is so much better than what the world can offer, I promise you. And so you have to make the first move. Here's what the next one says. You've got to repent. You've got to say, God, take me as I am. I'm messed up. I want your kingdom. I've done some bad things. Now, again, I know that's not anybody out here. But on this side of the stage, I've done some messed up things in my life. And I had to come to this point where like, okay, God, it can't be about me because me is really messed up. Let's get more of you and less of me. Amen. For those that are believers, you've all taken that step to repent. God, I know I'm not great. I'm not even good. In fact, I'm pretty lousy. But I want more of you. Amen. Here's what 2 Corinthians says. Therefore, come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. And I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. He wants to take you from where you are in Egypt, under the enemy's yoke, and translate you into being not just a servant of his, but to be a son or daughter of God. Man, we talk about the angle scale. That's not going from like negative six to zero. That's like negative six to two million. Right? It's not just, you know, if you look at the prodigal son, he said, listen, if, if I just go back to my dad's place and he just lets me work on the farm, that's way better than what I'm doing right now. And God says, nope, you don't get to work on the farm. You get to inherit everything in the kingdom. That's way better than working on the farm. Right? Way better than just going, hey, God, just give me whatever you got, and I'll be happy. I won't complain anymore. God says, no way. You're a son and daughter. You get way more. But we can only get that through our repentance. Amen? Number two, you've got to let it go. There are some things that are holding you in that yoke that are holding you from going that next step with God. 
And the only way you can do that is by surrendering. Listen, no one's perfect. We've all done some bad stuff. Right? I mean, no matter what your story is, somebody's story is worse. Because we've all done some bad things in our life. But there comes a time when God says, okay, you're part of the kingdom now. You just got to surrender and say, okay, God, whatever you need me for, I'm giving this up. Because here's what happens. I meet people that have come to church for one year, five, 10, 20, 50 years, and they haven't taken that next step with God because they don't think that God could ever use them. And when we surrender that to him, he's like, okay, I've got it. Now, here's what my plans, purposes, and pursuits are for you in my kingdom. But you can't keep holding on to that thing that you've been struggling with for however long you've been struggling with it. You've got to give it up. Here's what it says in Mark chapter 8. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to what? Save his life will lose it. When you try to do everything in your own power to save your life, I promise you, you will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. If you try to hold on to your life, try to fix it yourself, you're going to be miserable. And I've met those people, and they're miserable because they try to live by the law. If I do these 54 things, I think I read one time there were 653 different laws and commandments in the Old Testament. That seems hard to live up to. Just take the 10 that we talk about all the time. I can't even do those. So add on all those other 600, forget it. If you're trying to live your Christian life that way, you will be miserable. Just surrender it to God. Because when you're trying to save your life to live under the law, that's what he's trying to tell the Jewish people. Listen, you're trying to save your life. You're trying to live under these rules and regulations. You're going to lose it. Because what? Paul wrote, if you break one little thing, you've broken all of them. Whereas if you just give me your life and you just walk in me, I promise you it's going to be saved. Simple as that. Surrender. If something's holding you back, from serving here at Gateway, serving in the church community. Let it go. Move forward. You've hung on to it. I don't know who this is for. You've hung on it for you've hung on to it for too long. Just let it go. It's okay. God's bigger than whatever that thing is. Amen. All right. Number 3. Commit your life Commit to something. Build a relationship with Christ, with your fellow believers. Take that next step, whether it's, hey, I'm going to start coming to church more often than I do. I'm going to start going to more of these life groups. Right? Whatever it might be, I'm going to start reading more. I'm going to start listening to better stuff. I'm going to take some of this bad stuff out of my life. Whatever it is, Take that next step. Make that next commitment. Um, 
I'm in this program at work, and they give us TED Talks to listen to. And this one, uh, and TED Talks are, what, 10 or 12 minutes, sometimes 15. And some of them are really, really good, okay? This one lady was talking about changing your perspective on life. And she says, if you're really, really going to change your life, I want you to set your alarm for 30 minutes earlier and start getting up earlier and start working on those things that you promise yourself that you're going to do. Because she said, if you can't set your alarm 30 minutes earlier, you ain't going to do nothing. Well, that's what I'm telling you about God. Do something. Change something in your life. I don't know what it is. Start reading more. Start praying more. Whatever. Start fellowshipping more. Start with something. I don't care how small it is. Start with something. Amen? Here's what Romans says. Just as you used to offer yourself as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Be translated from that kingdom of darkness into that kingdom of light. But you can only do that when you commit your life to Christ. So as a, the musicians are coming up, we're going we're gonna to come in for a landing. We still have a couple more things to do. We're going to take communion today. And I hope communion means a little, something a little different today, knowing how important it was in the New Testament. The cup of sanctification will bring you out from where you are and to a new purpose in God's kingdom. More like Christ and less like the world with a purpose to serve God. Sanctification removes those roadblocks of what says I'm not good enough to I can do all things through Christ Jesus. So what I want to do is loop back to last week and about spiritual gifts. And I didn't talk about the book of Romans But the book of Romans is really a book about sanctification. The book of Romans really has two parts. Chapters 1 through 11, which talks about here's what God is doing to change us and translate us into his kingdom. And then in chapter 12, it starts to talk about now that you've been translated into this new kingdom, here's how you should live in this new sanctification. So I want to read a couple verses to you. Here's what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3 through 12. For I say through the grace given to me, sanctification, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one of us a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body in Christ and the individuals of one another. Remember when I said a thousand piece puzzle? You're that one puzzle piece. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it for ministry. He who serves 
in service. He who teaches in teaching. He who, he who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. You see, we're supposed to serve the body with our gifts. But if you're still stuck in that yoke of bondage, you really can't move on to serve, right? Here's what he ends with. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. In honor, giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. Continuing steadfast in prayer. This is that practicing portion of our sanctification. You see, our sanctification should move us from where we are under a yoke of bondage into a yoke of freedom in Christ. So today, we're going to take communion together. It was part of the Passover tradition, and we're going to celebrate that today. So if you'd like to take the uh, bowls that are on the end of the aisle and start moving those, going to take these together. So now comes the fun of trying to open these things, right? You didn't know there was going to be a, a physics test today, but good luck in getting those open. And as you're doing that, I'm just going to tell you what Paul writes in Corinthians. He says, the cup of blessing which we bless, the cup of redemption, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? See, that's how important this was to the early believers. So has everyone gotten theirs open? Let's take communion together. Here's what Paul says. For I received from the Lord that which I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread today. Then after supper, he took the cup. He said, This cup, this cup of redemption, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Then he says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity to partake cup this morning. This is the cup of redemption in your blood. We thank you for the power of your resurrection, changing us from the kingdom and the yoke of darkness into the kingdom and light of your love. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen.